The White House is changing its tune at least a little bit on return-to-office plans for federal employees. The Office of Management and Budget expects agencies to add more in-person work, but only where it makes sense. At the same time, agencies should still keep telework going strong. All right. With what that all means, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. And Drew, let's start with the OMB memo that is putting all of this out. What are they trying to say here? The idea from the memo, the main thing that the Office of Management and Budget wants agencies to take away here is that it's really going to be about a balance. For three years during the COVID-19 pandemic and following coming out of the pandemic, telework has been a lot more in use by federal agencies. And now the Office of Management and Budget is saying, okay, let's kind of make it more of a balance, keep telework where it makes sense for recruitment and retention. It doesn't have to go away, but at the same time, in-office work should be ramped up at least a little bit where it makes sense. And this is all going to be driven by data and evidence from agencies on things like hiring and other factors that can influence that. Right. So it sounds like they're trying to cut the baby in half without making any strong policy one way or the other. And why now of all times? This is coming just shortly after President Biden signed off on the end to the COVID-19 national emergency. And it's also one year after initial reentry plans from agencies who had to move back from a full telework posture to more in-person services a little bit after the pandemic. And this is also coming just a little bit ahead of Biden's plans to lift the national public health emergency in May. So there's a lot of changes on the larger scale with how the government is dealing with response to the pandemic. And I think that this is just a result of that. And isn't there also an executive order coming for the offering of child care services for federal employees, expansion of that, and maybe even for contractors also? That's correct. And I think there are just going to be a lot of changes. This is one piece of guidance from OMB, but there is likely more guidance that's going to be coming as a result of these more recent changes. All right. So put yourself in a federal employee's chair here and say, you know, well, I'm working three days a week and coming in two days or vice versa, whatever. I don't like Monday and Friday commuting. What does this all mean for federal employees in a practical sense, do you think? It's really going to depend on the individual agency. And I think there are going to be cases where things might not change for federal employees. It depends on how successfully an agency is functioning. And OMB wants the main focus to be on delivering services and focusing on agency mission. If an agency can prove with different variables, different data, different evidence that they are successful, that they are doing things as productively and as well as they can right now, then that means maybe you don't necessarily need to change your approach to telework. But if there are gaps, if there are issues with, for instance, attrition, maybe you're not getting enough quality job applicants who are coming in, maybe employees aren't feeling engaged or satisfied and the FEV scores have dropped a bit. Those are the areas where agencies are really going to have to take a look. If there are struggles there, then they're going to have to start increasing in-person work. Right, because the FEVs scores and now the best places to work that came out a couple of weeks ago or a week ago are not all that terrific, frankly, and some of them are horrible for a few agencies, and even the agencies that are generally good are down in a lot of scores. Right. I do think it, again, depends on the agency, but there are some that have been struggling a lot. In one example, the Social Security Administration has been having a lot of issues with staff retention, and they've come under a lot of fire from Congress about their public-facing services. 
there is a debate on where those issues are coming from and why they why the agency has those ongoing problems to deliver on its mission. But ultimately, that might be an example of an agency where you might see some changes coming. Sure, them and Bureau of Prisons, which right. <laughs> had really sad scores, and we're trying to look more into that one as well. Reaction to the memo, I'm sure AFGE weighed in already. There has been a lot of response to this memo. I think it was highly anticipated from the federal unions, AFGE for one, and TEU. They are supportive of the idea of you know, this is about striking a balance. It's about trying to continue telework where it makes sense and use in-person work also where it makes sense. I think where there is a little bit of contention here is that unions and other stakeholders weren't necessarily briefed on the memo or pulled into discussions before OMB released this guidance. So I think there is a little bit of concern around, okay, how did OMB create this? And there are a couple questions coming from unions in that regard. Right. They weren't consulted and they don't like that when it comes out and they haven't been consulted if it affects their members. And of course, we know House Republicans have been pressing for pre-pandemic levels of telework. That is a dial back. And what are they saying about this memo? They're saying that it really doesn't give any further detail or information. And they are you know, still continuing to push for that return to office, that level of telework that existed before the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think there has been a lot of contention around federal telework split along party lines for the last couple of years. Republicans essentially saying that telework is causing backlogs and delays at agencies. On the other hand, you have Democrats who are saying those backlogs and delays are more caused by understaffing and underfunding. So there's this debate on where telework falls into play here. And I think that the House Republicans are going to continue pushing for this return to office. Well, it all sounds a little bit fuzzy, actually, after having heard you and having looked at that memo. What about agencies themselves, agency managers, department heads and so on? What do they have to do here, if anything? And are there any deadlines or any anything specific they've got to send in? There are a couple pretty tight turnaround deadlines from this memo The main one is that agencies are going to have to create what's called a work environment plan within the next 30 days. That's basically their approach to looking at data and evidence. So things like hiring rates or time to hire, retention of staff where there might be attrition, employee engagement, all those things that we talked about. Also general office culture. Is it positive? Are there areas for improvement? And they're basically going going to create this plan, send it back to OMB with their evidence of either why they want to continue the way they're going or where they might need to make changes where necessary. So to the individual employee, it's kind of like, let's see what happens, but I'm going to continue kind of what I've been doing that nobody's bothered me about, but that could change shortly. Exactly. It's really going to, again, depend on the agency. It's going to be a couple more weeks before we see any real results of this, and, and we'll just kind of see how it plays out. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman, thanks so much. Thank you. And be sure to check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration 
came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a, um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you. It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration. Yes, I did, as a matter of fact. As I was leaving the University of Wisconsin, where I oversaw the UW colleges, I accepted the presidency at Morgan. And on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms. Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in abject poverty uh, in rural Alabama. And there was no law in Alabama as I was growing up that required black kids to go to school. I was kind of shut off from formal education on a consistent basis. I didn't get a chance to go to school full-time until I was in the seventh grade. We lived on property there that were owned by um, the white landowners. And so the um, owner of the property, a white woman, would bring down to this little shanty that we lived in, and she would bring Look and Life magazines. My mom, uh, she would make us as children plaster these pages of Look and Life magazines against the wall of this little shanty to keep the cold wind out. I would take a kerosene lamp and go around the walls reading those articles in Look and Life magazines, which is when I first came across the phrase of Horace Mann. Hmm. From that point on, I committed myself you know, to education. It's an amazing story, and two things occur to me. One, it's almost incomprehensible that this happened during our lifetime. You know, that to me is uh, almost shocking. It's also truly inspiring that you recognized that you could do more and sought out to do that and were successful at it. So when you think back on that experience, how has that informed, shaped, influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State? It, it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go back to that Alabama environment, what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters, who were 10 times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were literate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about ensuring that individuals who were drowning in potential and they didn't realize it 
would be in a position where they would realize it. I was never ever about positions that would enable me simply to replicate privilege. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what type of family you came from. I think that's where sometimes we kind of get education wrong. Uh, We have institutions that want to define themselves uh, based on how many students they don't admit. I'm about just the opposite, taking individuals who are absolutely stellar and don't realize it and bringing that into existence for them. You've had so many opportunities that you could do other things, perhaps, at um, larger organizations. But you're where you want to be on purpose, by design, for the kinds of reasons you just talked about, that it's, it's fulfilling. But can you talk a little bit more about that? There have been so many so-called top 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me. And you know, I flirted with a couple of them, and I went home to Alabama because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. So I flew down and began to talk with them about these institutions that were coming after me. I was thinking they would be impressed. And when I finished, my youngest sister said to me, now, are you finished? Clearly, we are not understanding why you would even consider leaving Morgan. It just reassured me uh, that I'm living my purpose at Morgan. And it is joyful uh, to be at a place where you want to be versus being at a place where others think you should be. One question that I always have to ask, is there one leader or maybe a couple of leaders that have inspired you, that have, you mentioned Horace Mann, I don't know if if that fits in this category, but what might be a couple of leaders that you remember that, that inspired you, that gave you a purpose, helped shape your life? In 1989, when I was selected as a W.K. Kellogg Fellow, we had to be introduced to leadership that was different in a lot of ways than the leadership that we had been exposed to. In February of 1990, uh, Mr. Nelson Mandela was released, and that's where I wanted to go and meet Mr. Mandela. We had no idea that he would grant an audience, and he did. He granted an audience, and uh, Mr. Walter Sisulu did as well. So here I am, having grown up in Alabama, I harbored some anger toward the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. Sosulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion? He said, I harbored no anger or bitterness toward the society that locked me away for all of those years because I and others like me knew that what we were doing was the right thing. If you commit yourself to doing the right thing, there should never, ever be any space in your heart for anger or bitterness. And that was transformational for me and why I respect and admire Mr. Nelson Mandela and Mr. Walter Sisulu today. That is a great story. And it you know, with all the accomplishments through your life, I'm sure it had a great impact on your ability to to go as far as you have, and you're still going. Well, uh, I, I have a takeaway in, in terms of leadership lessons I've learned. 
we would be well served as a nation if I think we created these opportunities for young people at various stages to really, first of all, see the United States. And then we need that same opportunity globally. As a result, when you do that, you understand the history over here. You understand the culture over here. You understand, and you got to understand the world beyond an intellectual understanding. You want to think of your maturation in a way where your brain can never, ever, ever be hacked. <laughs> so that's sort of the way. That's sort of I, I the way that I kind brilliant. of see all of that. You that's know? <laughs> and um, being born in rural Southwest uh, Kansas, flyover country, as they say, I can I can tell you that your your comments about travel and getting out, not just reading about it, but actually traveling. It, it really is important. It's absolutely critical for someone's personal development. I, I, I happen to think so. Well, Dr. <laughs> David Wilson, thank you so much. I love every single piece of today, but also your life story. It's really impressive, inspiring, and thank you for sharing it. Shane, today. thank you very much for inviting me to have this conversation with you again. And I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. We'll see you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.